Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Hello, Clarice. How are you? I'm good, Dr. Lecter. How are you? I'm okay. I've been tired the past few days. Uh-huh. Probably riddled with disease. Riddled with... Who knows? <laughs> but was... I'm drinking black coffee with sugar, which I've, I don't think I've ever done that. Why did you do that combination this morning? Because we watched a movie where the character was like, oh, let me... You were with me and we commented where the character has black coffee and she's like dumping sugar and you were like, oh no, that's too much. Oh, bedazzled. Bedazzled, that's right. Yeah, that's right, actually. And just right before you, right before sex with a beautiful woman, just give me a, a mountain of sugar. <laughs> um, It's not the worst. It's an interesting... Well, remember the, the butter craze where people would put their butter in their coffee? Yeah, we did that a few times. Did we do that? Yeah, with Whole30. Oh, remember yeah. we did like the ghee and then mm. you whip it in the, I didn't need that. Well, then I think because of Whole30, I started trying just black coffee. Actually, since the first time we did Whole30, I've drink I've drank black coffee since then, which is 2015. I don't mind black coffee. I mean, uh, I, I need it for one thing. Yep. That's very on brand for you. Chapter seven, ghee and me. So we watched the chris rock live netflix stand-up comedy special yeah we did so we should talk about that oh right off the Un unless there's something else you want to talk about first no I, I mean it all goes in the munching cave what are your initial thoughts of the special i thought it was just okay yeah uh... I, I think the only thing i was well you know everybody's gonna be talking about the closer but uh which was the purpose for everyone tuning in in the first place, really. Like, this was an event, right? But the only time I really got tickled was his line about the sexual scarecrow. <laughs> oh. that was. I'll get to it. So I actually wrote down some things that I think made us chuckle mm -hmm. so we can talk about it. Uh, I thought it was a strong opening because he talks about selective outrage. Sure. And he said... He says, y'all be sending woke tweets on phones made by child slaves. <laughs> yeah, he, he he had some good points. Um, I also, he has a, a line about how there's a waiting list for women to get Elon Musk's cum. Mm -hmm. What was that joke about? I already forgot. I don't remember. But he was saying like he's he's getting his dick sucked. That's why he looks so funny. Yeah, he's getting his dick sucked like 20 times a day, or every hour. And that's why he looks so funny. I don't remember the joke, um, but then he goes on about how he was at l the mall and he saw a sign at Lululemon mm -hmm. that said, we don't support like racism, homophobia, hate, discrimination, homophobia. And um, <laughs> Chris Rock's like, I'm paying a hundred dollars for yoga pants. I don't, I don't need, I just need these, like, tell me about how they protect my balls or something. But then he goes, I'm sure I agree with everyone in the audience that I would gladly pay for $20 racist yoga pants than these $100, like, non-racist, like, anti-hate pants. <laughs> then he goes on about how white, like, how, well, he says there are four ways to get attention mm -hmm. in America, and that's all people want is attention, and one is to be excellent. Like oh, Serena Williams. That was his number three, but yeah. And then he says, but no one wants to do that because you actually have to get up in the morning and practice mm -hmm. and be consistent. 
or you can show your ass mm -hmm. like black china or what was the other one that wasn't a victim it was be excellent show your ass be a victim was the last one yeah what was the first one i don't remember but anyway he talks about victims and he's like now white men think they're victims but so then he brings up like the the, the insurrection the insurrection and how like he'd understand what they were doing like these white men were trying to overthrow themselves <laughs> well they because they didn't understand what they were doing it's like yeah. that you could those people didn't know that they get the kind of access they did which is really a reminder of how lax uh, things were in dc but oh. <laughs> he has a line where he says when does snoop dogg become morgan freeman mm -hmm. because he's like doing commercials for everything um, I did think his bit about Meghan Markle hitting the light skin lottery was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and also not like crying to Oprah about, didn't you not realize these people would be racist? He's like, they were the, like, the OG the, racist. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was like, they're the colonizers. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you think? I thought that was really funny, actually. And then he said it was a lot of it was just some in-law shit. Because yeah. even black people want to know how dark the baby's going to be. <laughs> yeah, like how brown the baby's going to be. Because <laughs> we need to know if we're going to have a step, a, a step on a, a I want Stephen Curry. Stephen he said Curry? Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Uh, like, am I getting a Steph Curry or a Draymond Green? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's two very different upbringing. Um, then he has a bit about the Kardashians mm -hmm. and how, because he goes on about like, you know, as a black woman trying to get on with your white in-laws, but imagine being a white woman trying to get on with your black in-laws. And then he says that the Kardashians are really like, accepting of black people and that chris jenner is like the statue of liberty <laughs> like bring me your sick and your what yeah i thought that was really funny bipolar rapper come on in here, come get, on here. Get, let me fix you a plate crackhead basketball player come <laughs> on in here i thought that was funny and then he talks about how like the kardashians dad is like a hero because he got a different a football playing murderer uh -huh. meaning oj simpson yeah i mean and then he talks about how O.J. Simpson is another kind of black excellence. Because yeah, he killed two white people. Because <laughs> he with it. killed two white people. Oh, my God. Okay. So I thought the first, like. I think I was with, with it for a bit. And then, but then when he hits the whole, like, talking about trans women. Sure. That felt clunky. It was clunky because he was trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Yeah, I think he was trying to. I don't know. I mean, I guess I appreciate he was trying to be inclusive, but then I feel like he didn't really have the vernacular to, or that he felt like he couldn't make a joke in a way that would have been, uh, I don't know. It, it it just seemed like he was talking about something that maybe he wasn't a hundred percent comfortable with. And then he had talked about saying things that could get him canceled. And, but then on this topic, it seemed like he was treading lightly it did it seemed like it was almost in defense of like dave Chappelle. like i'm gonna talk about this i'm yeah. gonna talk about this shit and there's nothing you can do because he says like you know he, in some situations he because he says like i'm accepting of everyone he gave that normal answer it's like okay great i mean you said it so it's fine that you're accepting of everyone and then he goes and actually in some situations i prefer trans women mm -hmm. to like, the original recipe to the original recipe in those situations would be like watching sports mm -hmm. which is like ooh, i don't know yeah i, I just it, don't it, know it if just was, wasn't funny i don't know if it was the yeah it wasn't his strongest work so i don't even know if it was necessary 
okay but then he gets me back on track because he starts talking about abortion mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says he pre- he believes a woman should have the right to kill a baby until they are four years old i mean and then he goes on about how like you are killing your baby when you have an abortion so it's like ooh. um but a line that really hit me hard is he goes women if you have to pay for your own abortion that means you probably should get an abortion. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Wisdom from Chris Rock. Yeah, wisdom. Um, but then he lost me again because he talks about how his daughters are spoiled. And I think what 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 I was waiting for him to say, which is what I think he was trying to say, is that, you know, to have these young black women in America have access to all the things that traditionally they didn't have access to is a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. because he ends with that he talks about how his oldest daughter is in some fancy culinary school in paris and that like his mother who grew up in a time and a place where you know her her dental work had to be done by a vet yeah like black people weren't even allowed to see white dentists and if they needed assistance and couldn't find a black dentist they had to go to a veterinarian mm-hmm. so his black mother who grew up in a time where she had to see a veterinarian for dental care is now able to be flown to paris to see visit her daughter who's in culinary school so the ending of the bit is beautiful mm-hmm. but everything leading up to it just felt real tedious he does this thing like tells a story about his daughter going to this fancy private school and getting kicked out yeah it was a little like how ellen's last special was kind of like oh you are very rich yeah unrelatable and you're not bringing it back to the people Mm -hmm. like like you're not coming back down to earth sometimes yeah I, it wasn't bad it just uh compared to some of his other specials i'm like oh I, we're all we're all here to hear about this this thing that happened last year chris right and but but then he did get me back on board when he talks about he was being very honest about how now that he's single because he had a messy divorce and then he was dating and then broke up with that person now he's just out here being a hoe mm-hmm. and he's like saying that men don't date young women because they're young men date young older men date young women because they're easy mm-hmm. he's like a 25 year old just wants a pair of shoes but a 50 year old wants a new roof put on and then he talks i thought that was pretty funny mm-hmm. and then um he, and then you already referenced this but um saying that like you know after you sleep with a 50 year old woman you can't just leave because she wants you to help her go get her car from the mechanics so then you end up there like a sexual scarecrow <laughs> So when the mechanic says it's five hundred dollars, you're gonna be like, no, rah, rah, and then they knock it down to four fifty, <laughs> and then he's talking about old bitches have cars you didn't even know existed, yeah, like a Tesla that takes gas mm-hmm. or a Mercedes three hundred eight. Like, <laughs> but again, that bit is even like I feel like I've heard Dion Cole do that better about the the sleeping with older women versus younger women well the difference is Dion cole's get i mean his whole thing is that he likes or prefers older women and heavier women and he does it much better right um but of course the 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 closer is what everyone was waiting for and he talks about um will smith who he calls suge smith Mm -hmm. (laughs) and saying how people were asking did it hurt he's like yeah it hurt will is much bigger than i am going on about how will got to play Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. while he was playing Pookie and New Jack yeah. like <laughs> that's a big man but I mean 
I, I do have to say, I, I think we were both sitting on the couch kind of shocked at what he was saying because he kind of went in. He went in in a, in a way that I think he'd been biding his time to say this, and he felt angry, uh, as he should be, like, like on this, can you get to a bigger public stage uh, where this happens that we all had to witness? And So, yeah, basically he says Will Smith was practicing selective outrage because back when the red table talks when wills when jada pinkett had her husband on her show to bring up the fact that she had an, an entanglement an affair and as chris rock puts it was fucking one of their son's friends august alcina wasn't can keep going i have a i have a question about him august and yeah. his gay relationship oh yeah 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 <laughs> who, I, who i guess is like demisexual i don't know but it's like so what do i look like like me bringing up on the podcast how you slept with some other person and then everyone's so he's basically saying like so then now the world is making fun of will smith calling will smith a bitch mm -hmm. and chris rock calls will smith a bitch like mm -hmm. 20 times mm -hmm. he calls jada a bitch <laughs> but he's like so the entire world was calling you a bitch for how your wife played you but then you want to choose to slap me and then he goes which is even more crazy because Jada started it because Jada had said that Chris Rock shouldn't host the Oscars because her husband wasn't nominated for concussion, mm -hmm. which he shouldn't have been anyway. But um... so he was like, so then he's like, this bitch already started some shit with me. So I just finished it by making a comment about her hairdo, which is the importance of feeling being too. Cause I remember we recorded a podcast right after the, that Oscars and talking about, yeah. you know, uh, how black women are targets making fun of black women's hair. And then that, that is a thing. And, and I still remember our conversation and sentiment about that. But then of course his side, you know, does kind of broaden, uh, it, it, it uh, makes the picture a little bigger here about how he felt about why he could say what he said and what was really behind it. Well, I still feel like how I felt back then, which is like, if you're going to talk about someone else's, you know, significant other, you should expect some smoke. I mean, that's just how it goes. Like when you do that, you should expect something. I don't think it's appropriate. To, to me, Will Smith seems like a brat. Well, I, again, to go hit this man on stage. Right. It's like, not acceptable. What are you thinking? It's like, not a, and you're also both rich. So it's like you're really putting in jeopardy like your money. Well, and then what doing is, dumb shit like that? And everybody, Chris Rock said that he uh, people are like, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you respond? He's like, because I was raised. <laughs> yeah then he goes i yeah then he chris rock says like well i was raised by parents who taught me better and not to uh fight in front of white people <laughs> yes and then he goes yeah chris says he didn't fight back because his parents taught him that don't fight in front of white people i mean i think I, that that is the a key point here too is just look at how people are gonna talk about like will smith doesn't know better like he can't control himself and it's just you make yourself so vulnerable will smith made so a very petty. poor choice in doing that for sure but he and then chris ends by saying that he watches emancipation just to see will smith get get his ass yeah. whooped <laughs> well not actually not that much he's like super slave in that so yeah but i thought that was funny so overall i thought it was pretty good um it did feel kind of hindered by maybe feeling the need to talk about sort of you know he uses the word woke which i hate that word and <laughs> um yeah it just felt like he was restricted because of the events of last year and sort of the current social climate. Well, it's like, it, again, it was such a big deal 
I don't want to call it a cultural moment, but it was, it's something that I think he needed to address and then you can move on. I yeah, don't know. But he, Chris, Chris Rock is an amazing stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very polished and he's, he's very funny and he's very smart. Yes. And I, um, his first two comedy specials I had, um, on disc, like ripped on disc that I would listen to all the time. And I, a lot of the stuff I still can recite cause it just was so impactful to me. So he's definitely, um, great and the com the special is worth watching it is this the whole live thing with netflix i don't understand it's like your streaming service i don't know what the live part really well does. there was a pre-show where the comedian who was hosting it was Ron, even saying like I, Cheng. yeah like i don't know why we need to do this live <laughs> and you know what i haven't watched his stand-up but he is funny and cute uh and his skills at comedy are better than uh acting as in megan yeah, and Megan, I thought he was probably the worst part, but definitely. See, and I didn't know who he was before, but yeah, he's really handsome and funny in this the pre-show. So I I would definitely watch him in a comedy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on, there were a couple of questions. Has anyone from a film confronted you over a negative critique? Several times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one that comes to mind, a producer on the film is it cutthroat city directed by rizza because we we filmed something for but i also wrote a piece about it at, okay. at ion cinema and they were upset about the written review and i want to say they reached they out they were to, more upset about the written review than the video i don't think they'd watch the video oh. um because you know the stuff because if i'm included you know it's worse this stuff on ion cinema goes to rotten tomatoes so oh sure uh for now we'll get there eventually as well uh the producer who whose name i don't remember he was white because uh, it's usually white men that confront me about those things. He, <laughs> I don't even remember all the messages, but was clearly very upset. And then bit, sent me a clip from the movie Birdman of Lindsay Duncan uh, just eviscerating Michael Keaton. And that one, you probably don't remember it, but I do really like Lindsay Duncan. And uh, she, uh, yeah, is, is just, well, an awful bitch, really. But he said that basically I'm this person, this old dragon lady that <laughs> ruined his uh, opening weekend and made it feel like it's like nobody's reading my shit anyway. But fine. Sorry. I didn't like your movie. It's not good. And I think Riza has directed some decent films, uh, but that was not one of them. Mm-hmm. And then also just recently while I was in Berlin, I got a nasty message on Letterboxd basically saying that. It was something that to the effect of now I understand you have terrible taste in film and you hate Christians. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, those are uh, two separate things, I feel. But are, okay. yeah, well, also hates like, come on. I hate mean, is a strong word. Um, but anyway, I and then they deleted it. But I happened to screenshot it and I looked up that person's profile on Letterboxd. This person, Ben Mad, I didn't recognize his handle, but he's a well sure he's a filmmaker and he made some film called glitch in the grid his name's eric something or other that i reviewed back in 2011 or 12 and i i remember loathing it so my review is incredibly negative and it's it's such an indie film that i I probably didn't get a lot of coverage but he been mad (laughs) well yeah please don't come for me though because I well, you'll just get your feelings hurt for a few reasons, um, especially not in in public. Because oh, in public, no, I don't know what you think I'm not gonna say, and then also I probably don't remember. So then that's just awkward. Like you're mad about some. This is why 
I mean, this is why it's so important to like let go of a lot of anger because sometimes like you hold on to shit and the other party involved doesn't even recognize that you're upset. And certainly for me, I'm not even going to remember what I said or if I liked something or didn't like it. So if I say some shit you don't like, just charge it to the game because I'm not going to know. Also, I don't think we're, I'm above or we are above critiques ourselves but of course not people say nasty things to me every day literally every day Mm -hmm. every day nasty things that i'd have to delete and i just think like well that's just it's it i'm not trying to validate the crazy shit i say but you know we do put a little time into our Mm -hmm. opinion which i think has some value versus like just oh. a drive-by nasty word, and then you have this blank profile. Like, okay. Well, I but I, also I, what I meant to say was constructive criticism, because I think that if the intention is to is constructive criticism, then of course I'm able to accept that ab- about myself as well. Sure. Even though sometimes I'm not in the goddamn mood to hear it, but yeah. And I don't. And like what I'm saying is just my opinion. I'm not. I don't have any ability to help anyone in any way, except maybe with your hair and makeup. So it's like. I'm just giving my opinion. I watched something. It's my reaction. I didn't care for it or I loved it. Like, you know, I'm one of like many people. And also if many people don't like your shit, then I mean, who are you making it for then? Like, well, you should be making it for yourself is the bottom line. But, but okay. But then that's the problem with a lot of artists, including yourself. Like, you know, you're supposed to be making things for yourself because you love what you do, but then you're very sensitive to like feedback about it. And I just don't think that's, you either need to, make shit for the people and be open to criticism and just whatever or you make it for yourself and who cares what people think like you're very sensitive about your writing and it's like i think it's good and but it doesn't matter i don't think i think sensitive is the wrong word it's like i i think that most writers i i feel like to hear some kind of I don't know. I feel like most people write for some kind of reaction or some kind of. Yeah, but that's controlling because you want a reaction that's positive. Not necessarily. Oh boy, the, you, you know who wants negative? Well, reactions? The, the man that said that I have terrible taste in film and hate Christians, I was rather amused by that. Uh, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't. No, it doesn't always have to be positive. Um, and again, it, it depends on the source of where it's coming from too. Like some people, I like to rile up if I'm being honest. But oh boy. Uh, no, I, I think it's most people want some kind of reaction to their craft. It's because what's the worst being mediocre and having nothing. So I will. Yeah, of course. I, do I want to hear somebody thinks I'm trash? Well, but I would also ha- rather have um, that a negative reaction than just like, meh. Well, this is a good set. Se- this is a good segue to self-indulgence, because another question was because you said you thought Pulp Fiction was or Quentin Tarantino. Oh, I think I saw this comment and to ask so me then, about tar. So then what do you think about tar? I don't think tar is self-indulgent. I, I, that is not something I classify as that. I think that is a, a character study that is trying and maybe to, according to some people's opinion is not as multifaceted as they'd like it to be. But I love that film. I think it's brilliant. Uh, I think Blanchett's performance is cool, cold and calculated and troubling because I, again, I know I've said this before, there are moments where I think that I was participating in a, a, the joy for her that made me second guess myself as a human. Uh, but I 
Uh, and sure, maybe it doesn't t- tackle whiteness uh, as much as it should. But again, considering the location of where it is. But no, I don't I wouldn't say that that is self-indulgent. I think Quentin Tarantino, who as a filmmaker is somebody I will always want to watch his films. I don't always love his films. I think that he has certain vulnerabilities as well. And I, I don't think he can help himself. I don't think Tar, which is a film that was made in conjunction with the lead performer, just as much as it was the director really is uh, suffering from the same sensibility. Mm, That was a quality moment. Let's take a break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought we were done with this question, but I wanted to add that self-indulgence doesn't, isn't always negative. Yeah. And I don't think I always mean it as a negative way uh, in a negative sense either. In relation to Pulp Fiction, I thought you were talking about specifically Quentin Tarantino's use of the N-word, like his character, like him uttering the word, which I feel like in the comments was conflated with like the general use of the n-word which i thought in the video i was clear that the black characters who are using it and the racist gun shop owner that made sense to the story right right so that's not my issue it just felt like quentin tarantino whose acting also wasn't the best wanted to be in this film and i think that's an example of how self-indulgence can sort of like i feel like it blinded him from like the actual art. Like it didn't benefit his art. His self-indulgences, it felt like that of a teenage boy trying to be provocative to me because watching that film in the context of, you know, 2023 or as we move forward in time is just what, what does this scene mean and what was trying to be said? And it places it in a certain time capsule that now it can't ever, there's certainly not a timelessness specifically about that scene where that would be appropriate for this white person to say this to this black man that's his friend uh but also we gave the movie a very good score right you gave it three and a half well people are often mad it's like how people are mad about our score about eve's bayou being three and a half but three and a half means very good i agree like (laughs) i agree no masterpiece also you know Everybody is welcome to their own opinion. You should all have your own top 10 list if you love cinema. And it shouldn't, what is, you know, what's the most depressing thing is seeing a bunch of lists that all look the same. Like we are all different people that come from all different walks of life that have all different kinds of perspectives. This, my masterpiece doesn't have to be your masterpiece. I don't think Pulp Fiction is a masterpiece. I think he's done better films. I prefer Jackie Brown. I prefer Inglorious Bastards. And those are films that I would be much more willing to, you know, go to bat for and defending uh, a whole slew of bullshit. But Pulp Fiction, yeah, it's. I think that was a great juggernaut of a film. It's a cultural moment, and that's something that can't ever be taken away from it. And I'm not trying to take that away from it, but I just didn't. I've had some. I've had a lot of coffee. I think. Yeah, that, we could probably stop this okay. topic. All right, moving on. Films released we didn't cover. Something called Blueback. Uh, you watched part of this because I covered it for Sundance, or I, I watched for Sundance. I didn't cover it because this this deserves to be on the worst list of the year oh what is it already. about it's about it starts mia wazikowska and rada mitchell and eric bana about that young girl that goes back to her mother <gasps> and there's that big that fish <laughs> that's right that big blue fish that shit looked <coughs> you know what it felt like 
what one of there was a very brief period where I attended like a mega church. I don't know what I was thinking, except I just wanted like on your own, on my own, Patty LaBelle. Yeah. On, one and Michael McDonald. So really they weren't on their own, but, um, <laughs> written by the man who just passed, um, Bert Bacharach. Okay. Yeah. But, um, those mega churches make movies, not unlike, like how the Scientologists make films. Mm-hmm. That blueback movie looked like one of those mega church movies. <laughs> oh, this was painful to sit through. I hated it. And we reviewed, it was directed by Robert Connolly. This premiered at TIFF last year. And then Sundance had it in its spotlight section. But uh, that opened this week. And uh, we reviewed this man's last film, The Dry, starring Eric Bana, which as a film, ironically, was very dry. Ooh, people did not like that review. They were mad. Why were they mad? That, that we didn't like it? It might have been people who were affiliated with it. I don't know. But it was very dry. I didn't say it was bad. It was just very dull. It was just <laughs> very not interesting. I'm sorry. I didn't like your film. Moving on. Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. Ruse de Guerre. Ruse of War. Uh, I emailed these these uh, production company, <laughs> this distributor about this. I don't know that this really was uh, touted for press. I know some people saw it, but I was gone last week anyway, so I didn't push it. But Guy Ritchie has a new film, Aubrey Plaza's in it, Jason Statham. I would see it for Aubrey. And I did like Guy Ritchie's last film, Wrath of Man. Um, the film RRR was re-released. Uh-huh, yep. Um, we reviewed that film, and we got a lot of nasty messages because we didn't think it was a masterpiece. Again. I didn't say the mil- <clears throat> I didn't say the film was bad. I, I, just... it's, I didn't love it. <laughs> Just, just like American movies that are very similar, because RRR is Indian, right? Yeah. Just like these American movies that are like they have a budget, but it's not like the biggest budget. The biggest budget, so they're trying to do like Marvel level stuff mm-hmm. with like you know, uh, it 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 felt a little crunchy, and then the style of it just isn't my flavor. So again, it's just my opinion. If you love bombastic, loud, nonstop, then I guess it would be great. But yeah, not me. I also, you know, usually singing and dancing in whatever language of cinema it is usually takes me aback. And uh, so that movie is long as hell. That's what I remember from it, that it was long. <laughs> uh, yes. But again, it's just like my masterpiece doesn't have to be your masterpiece. Next, Children of the Corn. This got remade in 2020. And I don't know why it was delayed, but that got I released. would love to see this movie. It was filmed in Australia, directed by Kurt Wimmer. Uh, I'm assuming that's how you say his name. It looks like a very German name. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not really a fan of the 1984 original with Linda Hamilton, but uh, I loved, I have very fond memories of reading Stephen King's Night Shift as a kid, and this was a favorite story of mine, but I don't know. I feel like this film's been done to death. The Forger? I did watch this. I was supposed to write about it for us, but I didn't. Uh, true story about, uh, based on a true story about a Jewish man during uh, World War II that was forging documents and barely scraping by. This premiered at Berlin in 2022, directed by Maggie Perrin. A Little White Lie. Um, direct, second film directed by Michael Marin, uh, starring Michael Shannon, but then it also had Kate Hudson, and we had very limited time this week, so I'm like, do I want to waste time on Kate Hudson? No, so we didn't watch it. Projects of Interest, The Gorge. Okay, now you know. I always love new Sigourney Weaver news. Oh, that's this one. Yes. So Sigourney's got a new project. Uh, it's 
although some of the team behind the camera I'm not the most excited about, but it's going to star Miles Teller and Anya Taylor-Joy, who I like her, and it's directed by Scott Derrickson. And to be honest, I haven't like been I haven't really been excited for a Scott Derrickson movie for a long time. I do like The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I think the first hour of Sinister is good. I don't like Doctor Strange. I I didn't like The Black Phone. Uh, but th- this sounds interesting. It sounds like a sci-fi love story, big action film. And it was unfortunately written by the man who wrote The Tomorrow War, which I also didn't like. Oh, with Chris Pratt. With Chris Pratt. Mm. That was... a terrible terrible film but i will watch anything with sigourney weaver and champion it so here we are did you mention what the movie's about yeah a love story it's supposedly this love story that's a a big action film oh sci-fi elements oh not not that much known about it trey edward schultz uh who directed waves and it comes at night he has a new film that the the plot and title of are under wraps but jenny ortega who is wednesday adams and in the last screen movie and barry cogan who you like from or cowgan from banshees of in sharon and the weekend oh, i did like him yeah i don't well i think it's a horror film because i read a headline that i read a headline on social media about how this film is turning into like torture porn oh so it's a horror film i think okay uh, out of season, uh, Stephon Brise, uh, French Stephon King, Stephon King, Stephon Brise of a uh, notable French director has a new film called out of season. That's the English language translation, uh, starring Guillaume Canet, uh, the husband of Marion Cotillard and Alba Rohrwalker. I think that is in production right now. Uh, for the most part, I usually like his films. Helene Catet and Bruno Forzani. They are a Belgian filmmaking duo, duo husband and wife. I interviewed Bruno Forzani over The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, which is probably damn near a decade ago. Their first film, I've liked them since their first film, Amer. Uh, they were last not on hand with Let the Body Sunbathe, uh, which I also really liked. But apparently they're working on some new, large, international co-production. Uh, so that should be exciting because what they can do with little money is very impressive. Uh, but they are kind of peripheral genre filmmakers. But if you've never seen anything of theirs and you like weird, wonky cinema that doesn't exactly need to make sense uh look them up marcel pagnol biopic marcel pagnol biopic uh sylvain chomet a very notable animator finally has a new project uh underway apparently he wasn't doing that fellini thing for a while i don't think that ever panned out uh but he's probably best known for the triplets of belleville which is also damn near 20 years ago and the illusionist uh but he is directing a biopic about the famed French author who had, of course, that notable Marseille trilogy uh, of the three stories of uh, Fanny, Caesar, and uh, Marcel, which Alexander Corda made, I think, in the 30s. Uh, Criterion has them on disc. Daniel Atoyle remade at least the first two. Has I wonder, did he finally remake the third chapter of that? Anyway, um, yeah, that's happening. Le Roman de Jim. Le Roman de Jim, uh, the ninth film directed by the Larry brothers, uh, who have had some, I think I liked 21 Nights with Patty the most, but they are an interesting French filmmaking duo. Lastly, I swear. Samuel Thies, uh has a third film. I technically correct, he co directed his 2014 Party Girl. I think that had three directors. And I liked his last film, Softy. About this coming of age girl, girl coming of age story about this young boy who 
is uncomfortably young and makes a pass at his straight married teacher, uh, which felt like something that would never be handled in uh, in a way that is meaningful, but also appropriate in any English language capacity. But that was a really interesting film. But uh, Anais Demostier, Valeria Bruni Tedeschi, and Antoine Reinhardt are going to be in his new film. Do you remember the song I Swear by All for One? Yep. <laughs> memories movies watch for fun you rewatched scream yeah and then you rewatched scream 2 last night yeah you know i i don't enjoy those films well then we can move on you watched bless their little hearts this was on movie <clears throat> while i was stranded this week elsewhere uh, i really liked this uh directed by billy woodbury who i think only made one documentary after this black filmmaker it's set in it i think it's 1986 it was shot in watts and compton and it's about this black family trying to survive it's shot in stark black and white it could have been the 50s uh it was written by Charles Burnett, uh, Killer of Sheep, and uh, To Sleep With Anger uh, fame. And uh, very well written. I think it was very accomplished. Burnett's own children played the kids of this uh, husband and wife that are just trying to get by. But really great performance from Casey Moore, who plays the wife. And we just saw Casey Moore in her only other notable film, Daughters of the Dust. She played Hagar. Mm. Uh but wow, I can't believe this person wasn't in more film. It's it's just a travesty because this was excellent. So if you have a movie subscription, I highly recommend checking out Bless Their Little Hearts. Life Sentence. Uh, and then I watched this on movie, and I'm a big Arturo Ripstein film uh, fan, the notable Mexican auteur. And he had this film in 1979 starring Pedro Armandiras Jr. It's about a, a pimp and thief who is finally hemmed up enough to where he wants to mend his ways gets out of prison finds a mentor becomes a banker only to be roped back into a life of crime when he's blackmailed by these dirty policemen and uh it, it's set it's there are a lot of flashback memories but it's set basically over one day but i thought this was a, a lot of fun um and it's sometimes it's hard to get a hold of ripstein's earlier stuff so i i highly recommend checking that out if you're a fan of his but it's also uh I think it's written by the novel. It's based on this from, from the forties or fifties from a notable author named Louis Spota, uh, who wrote something really interesting. I want to read called in the palm of your hands, which there's a film version of that too. Uh, but he updates that to like late seventies, uh, corruption in the Mexican government kind of thing. And it's very interesting. Hmm. Well, I watched a few zingers. Uh, I watched the 2006 film who made the potato salad. Uh huh. Directed by Coke Daniels, it stars someone we all know, Jaleel White, who mm -hmm. was Steve Urkel. Um, but there are some other notable people in it, like Ella Joyce, uh huh, Tom Lister Jr., oh. Gary Owen, Michael Colliar, D. Ray Davis, Eddie Griffin, who's in a real has a really weird cameo that's really long, where he sends a sex tape to his ex's dad to share with her weird but anyway um this movie was terrible and i had seen the movie like i feel like i had seen it like at the video store when we used to go and then i remember that uh title. yeah jaleel plays a cop who has just gotten engaged to this lovely young woman and she's like well you should probably meet my parents like yeah <laughs> he's they live in san diego and her family's in south central la and they show up and these people are ridiculous um it's 
pre- I mean, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot to say about it. The use of the N-word by D. Ray Davis is pretty amusing, but then it gets really old. Um, next, I watched a BET original, the 2022 film Bid for Love, directed by Arthur Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the writers' name names is uh, Entice. It's like N apostrophe T Y S E. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, but um, I didn't recognize any of the people in it except for uh, Tammy Roman. She's oh, yeah. in it, playing a therapist <laughs> who looks like they have to stop every other line so she could like. Like line, line. Mm-hmm. So it's real choppy. Oh, but, that that's the one that you told me about. And, and I looked up Tammy Roman's filmography and I said you should watch House of Vicious. That's right. I will say, though, I like this style of film, like storytelling, because it's very um, melodramatic. There's a lot going oh, on. It's soap opera, right? That's what, Yes, exactly. So I like that. I just think the production quality is really poor. And the acting is really poor. Mm-hmm. I wish... I I would love to see these movies continue, like these types of movies continue, but we need better acting and better production because it's just, I mean, it's not even at the level of a soap opera. Mm-hmm. So that's unfortunate. Okay, I watched the sequel to the movie The Reef. It's called The Reef Stocked. It came out last year, directed by Andrew Trauke. I don't know how you mess up I would give this half a star, but I can't because I think it was made like they were trying to make a decent movie. Mm -hmm. So it's not on the level of like man eater. Oh my God. I hated the lead actors. The story is so generic. Like, of course there was some trauma. So why does it always have to be trauma for you to want to like save your life or fight for your life? And then the shark component, we really don't even see the shark except for like some stock footage. Oh my God, all the decisions these women make it, you would think it'd be so bad. It's good. But I was so frustrated. Someone asked us in our live video yesterday, the last time a film made me cry inside. Mm -hmm. And it was this one because it was so utterly frustrating. The decisions they were making, you know, I'm afraid of like what's in the water. So that, you know, there is some fear associated with it, but sure. Primal, done. primal fear starring Edward Norton. So then I had to cleanse my palate and I rewatched Open Water, the oh, 2003 boy. film that. God, I, I haven't seen that in years. It's terrifying. Yeah. It is. Because it's about a couple who go on like, uh, they go on like one of those boat tours with, uh, I think they're in the Caribbean, and like, like a diving tour. And somehow the person in charge miscounts like mm-hmm. everyone who returns. So they leave those two out there and they're out there for like a couple nights, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's just terrifying because it was very famous at the time because they actually shot in the ocean mm-hmm. and there was footage of them like actually near sharks. Yeah, that was, I that was a Sundance hit. I remember what was the theater in downtown Minneapolis? Lucky? Uh, no, like the, the lagoon and the, the one that's closed now. Oh, the land? No. The Uptown? The Uptown. Yeah. I remember running to see that at the Uptown, and there was a huge line. It's, um, yeah, it still is terrifying, and the end is so sad where the the, the woman, because her husband's already been... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I remember one of them dies first. She just kind of gives up and takes off her um, oxygen tank, and she just sinks, mm-hmm. and that's the end. And then we see the the people realize that they forgot about them, but yeah. 
it still has a lot of impact. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. Rico Browning. Yeah, he was the he's the man in the the costume and the as the creature and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, he's ninety three. And then we talked about Tom Sizemore, I think, last week on mm-hmm. our honorable mentions because he wasn't doing well health wise. Well, mm-hmm. he ended up dying. Yeah, ended up dying. Um, he was only sixty one. Yeah, but he yeah, I remember in the nineties had a lot of drug addiction issues that lots of people would talk about. He was, and I think I remember him being quite open about as well. Um, well, that's I don't know if that contributed to it, but yeah. And we just watched him in uh, devil in a blue dress. Devil in a blue dress. I always think of him in the movie, the relic, which is a, a favorite of mine as a kid mm. with Penelope Ann Miller. Let's take another quick break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So today's secret movie was Nick's choice. However, he had to make a last minute pivot. I did. Because our live video earlier this week, well, I guess technically last week, oh, the cat's making an appearance, um, was uh, Raquel Welch. Mm -hmm. And we gave five options and y'all chose the film Bedazzled. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, she's not really in it. She has like the smallest cameo. (laughs) Because I'd never seen it. And she's probably the worst part of the movie. So then we Nick felt like we should probably redeem her and choose a film where she's the lead where she's the lead and has um considerable agency uh is what i was trying for so you chose one of the other options in the poll which no one voted for which was the 1971 british western film directed by burt kennedy called hanny calder Mm -hmm. Uh, let me just read the synopsis after she is raped and her husband is murdered a woman hires a bounty hunter to instruct her in the use of a gun so she can get her revenge on the three outlaws responsible. So that sounds pretty intense, right? Mm-hmm. This shit was like almost like a slapsticky rom-com for most of it. And then it's like it's bookended with the rape in the beginning and then her killing the three men who raped uh-huh. her in the end. But the middle hour is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, again, I had never seen this Um I don't know. The synopsis is basically the entire movie. Um, So when it says that she's going to pay this bounty hunter, she meets him because these three guys, the Clemens brothers, Mm -hmm. one of whom is played by... Well, they're they're three very notable actors, but Ernest Borgnine is kind of the central one, but Struther Martin and Jack Elam. Oh, I only recognized Ernest Borgnine. Struther Martin, the same year, has a very iconic film moment. Uh, He's the warden in Cool Hand Luke, who says, "What I think what we have here is a failure to communicate, or whatever that line is. Interesting. Well, yeah, I didn't realize that, but these are the Clemens brothers, and they have just robbed a bank, and they're on the run, and they come up on this house where Raquel and her husband are living they end up killing the husband brutally like gang raping her and after they are done they light her house on fire oh yeah they sure do so she's just left out naked with a poncho on when all of a sudden this bounty hunter played by Robert Culp shows up with two horses and a dead man on it 
on one of the horses saying like, please help me. I need your well. I need water. My horses need water. And of course, she's still in shock and afraid. So she assaults him and knocks him out with a gun, uh, like hits him on the head. And the next morning when he wakes up, he sees that she's taken his gun and is like practicing shooting. Mm -hmm. And then he disarms her and leaves. But she's begging him like, no, please show me how to use a gun. Um, I'll pay you. But she doesn't have money. So she's going to pay him with some vagina, I guess. Is Well, that's what she's implying. That's been recently incredibly traumatized. But yeah. And he doesn't want that. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. I have shit to do. <laughs> so <laughs> she follows him like a puppy until he finally goes, fine, I'll show you. But we need to get you a gun. And they're in the, on the West Coast, like by in a border town in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So he's like, well, we have to cross the border to Mexico to this guy who can make you a gun. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was the most stupid part of the story. Sure. The bounty hunter has two guns plus the rifle or whatever she her the one that she used to knock him out with. So they have three guns on the minimum. Why are you making this long trek to go have a specialty gun made for her when she doesn't have any money? And it's never discussed like how they're paying for this new gun. Mm -hmm. It's just like this other guy played by. Oh, Christopher Lee, Sir Christopher Lee in his only uh, Western appearance was in this film. And he, I do like seeing him. He, Well, yeah, he's fun to watch, but he, he makes her a gun. And it takes so long for them to get to this point where they get the gun. Mm -hmm. And the training of showing her how to use the gun is so tedious, which we can get into. But they're at Christopher Lee's place and some like, Mexi like Mexican banditos show up. Mm -hmm. And there's a fight where the bounty hunter is killed. So now Raquel's kind of on her own because he's gone. No, he's not killed there. He's not killed there? No, they helped Christopher Lee out and get away. And Robert Culp uh, had a face-off in, in the town with the three oh, brothers. Right. And Ernest, and there's a scene where the slow-motion shooting Ernest, stabbing. Ernest Borgnine knifes him, yeah. You're right. So anyway, now she is in the town to kill the three brothers, and she does one by one. Mm -hmm. And then she's done. She just leaves. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yeah, I I didn't hate this film as much as you did, but it, and it was written by Burt Kennedy under a pseudonym. It just and Burt Kennedy directed a lot of westerns, and I I just think this feels like so many other things, including that that Nicolas Cage film that opened earlier this year, The Old Way. But as soon as it opens, I'm like, oh, so this is like I spit on your grave as a western, and so which this, would have been so much better. It 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 did, but it fits in that very uncomfortable. Uh, lexicon of rape revenge films. It's like, how much is this exploitation and how much is this actual? Does she have any agency? Because yeah. I don't feel like Hanny Calder for this film named about her really gets to exude any. No, and I think that's why I dislike it so much because, like, you know, it, like this traumatizing thing happens to her as a woman during this era because it's like the 1800s and, you know, is no one would have cared what happened to her anyway so she has to take matters into her own hands and instead of us seeing her become like independent and the anger being exuded like we don't get any of that we get her having one nightmare which is what convinces robert culp to help her but after that she's just acting like i mean it really feels like a rom-com where she's just like happy to follow this man around and he's teaching her things and they're kind of the score is very inappropriate i think it's very like doo, 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 the doo. score is funny because also the composer ken thorne would win an oscar for another film this year a funny thing happened on the way to the forum so oh, the great western forum in inglewood uh, um and raquel my, welch also notably executive produced this 
Oh, wow. Well, well, that might explain my next note, which is I, I thought, well, luckily she was from the fire. She was able to salvage her makeup bag and her bump it because mm -hmm. she is fully done, honey. Uh -huh. Full face of makeup. Oh, yeah. This is like watching Jennifer Lopez. In oh, she's wearing film. foundation, lip, like lip color, blush, eyeliner, her mascara. Her eyebrows are fully done. I mean, she looks good, but her, her hair, she, she, it's teased. I mean, she's wearing a bump it of yeah, a sort. It's like, this is insane. She was <laughs> giving me Shania Twain vibes. She looks school. great. She does, but it's also kind of takes away from the stakes. I don't have a lot of notes because there really wasn't much going on. The, the time it takes them to get to the gun maker and then her practicing shooting is so basic. We spend a lot of time because when she finally gets the gun, the bounty hunter is making her do like one thing, which is like she has this stick that she's holding in front of her horizontally with a rock tied to a string on it. And she's supposed to roll it up and down. Mm -hmm. And then as she does it more and more, he makes the rock heavier, I guess, to improve her like manual dexterity and strength. Mm -hmm. That goes on for a long time. It does. And really as the audience, I'm like, Okay, I don't know that we needed to watch this much of this. And then the brothers are just so over the top terrible. They're almost like, so that's what I hated too, is they're almost like the three stooges. Mm -hmm. These men brutally raped this woman and they're bank robbers. They're awful, awful people. And they're made like slapsticky. They are. Yeah. Every time um, Borgnine shouts at Struther Martin. <laughs> the mood of these characters, like the mood, the characters, the score, it didn't match sort of the heinous opening of this film. And right. that really rubbed me the wrong way. It just felt so like and then disrespectful. Have, to and then me. you have other characters like Stephen Boyd, who's the one that's trying to, you know, technically seduce Charlie Heston on Ten Commandments as he's credited as the preacher who shows up in two scenes and is the one that helps her. He's the one that shoots Ernest Borgnine in the end at the at the prison where there's the last. That's stand -up. right. Yeah, like, he's so random. He can't. He comes to see Christopher Lee. That's where we first see him to have, have a new chamber made for his gun, and then he just pops up again and it's uh, I, I don't know let's just yeah actually like, that served no purpose to just me. an extra kind of tangent and then of course uh i find diana doors entertaining who's the brothel madam that uh, appears briefly at the very end uh who's raquel welch one of the clemens brothers is with a prostitute in this brothel i think it's jack elam and she's going up the stairs and diana doors stops she's like when did i hire you oh bitch because <laughs> we just uh She's in that movie Berserk with Joan Crawford and also Skolomowski's Deep End. Well, speaking of that scene, uh, at the end when Raquel kills that bandit, he falls out the window and lands on one of the prostitutes. Yeah. And it's totally like a slapsticky. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and, when, then, and then I also like the final song in the film. Oh, uh, by Bobby Hanna. It's called Life Never Is Easy. Oh, my God. If it's you like watch Yoda wrote the lyrics. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. The only reason to watch this movie is to listen to the theme song at the end. Um, like, not unlike the, a Franco Nero spaghetti Western called Kioma. You, if you haven't seen Kioma, you should look up the uh, theme song to that. Oh God. So these bandits who raped Raquel, they have a bounty out for them. So when she kills the first one, she turns them into the sheriff. And he, so two things. First of all, he goes like, you're out here shooting people up and blah, blah, blah. And 
what does he say? Because she goes, why aren't you doing anything? He's like, well, they're just running around being bandits. They're, no, he's like, she's causing the trouble by getting them. He's like, they're just minding their own business out here being wanted. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> like, what? why aren't you doing your job? But anyway, she gets to collect the bounty, which is $750. And the sheriff just has it in a drawer. Mm-hmm. $750? Mm-hmm. Do you know how much $750 was in like 1890? Yeah. Like $25,000. Mm-hmm. He just had it in a drawer. Yeah. That shit was crazy to me. Um, then adding to like how ridiculous I thought the tone was when Ernest Borgnine gets killed, it's like a slow motion gun shot knife mm-hmm. throwing scene that gets reproduced in the end when the preacher pops back up. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand. One of the bandits I thought has this really shrill voice and he's acting like a, I thought it could have been Leslie Jordan. Rufus. That's Strother Martin. Like, what are we doing with this movie? Again, watching Raquel, her character, learn how to shoot was so tedious. Yes, because she's never seen as being kind of powerful. Never. Mm-hmm. Never. Even I think w- it's, it's a better Robert Culp film. Even when, yes, I agree. Even when she, because I want, because she gets shot in the arm. So she goes to see a doctor and they put her in a sling. And mm-hmm. even when she kills the second brother, it, it doesn't seem powerful because she's kind of dis- disabled and she kind of has to like sneak attack him. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand. I know it was the early seventies, but I don't understand the point of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, t- so you know, this is a major influence apparently on kill bill, which you haven't seen, mm-hmm. but, but I, I, I definitely can see that. But it, surprisingly, it's also a, a, apparently a really loose, remake of a roger corman film called gunslinger which i have seen because there's a mystery science theater treatment of it uh starring beverly garland and of course it's much less salacious i I, she's not raped uh like like uh raquel is in this but uh it's funny you can see it if if you're aware of those films but what would you give this movie? oh and also i want to uh burt kennedy who i already mentioned is the director uh while i didn't love this film i do really like his adaptation of jim thompson's the killer inside me which has a fantastic i think it's stacy keach and i i love her susan tyrell who uh you've seen in uh, butcher baker nightmare maker uh and of course was remade by michael winterbottom very infamously starring jessica elba casey affleck and kate hudson in 2010 but the original if you haven't seen it it's a burke kennedy film definitely worth seeking out i would give henny calder two out of five stars and it immediately made me want to watch a different Raquel film or be able to talk about Myra Breckenridge, which is a film that I think has subversive, powerful elements in it. Well, I think I'm done with Raquel for a while, but uh, I would give this film one and a half out of five. Well, you like Myra Breckenridge. I do, but I just, I'm so disappointed that like I, I attempted to watch two Raquel films and while I loved Bedazzled, mm-hmm. she was my least favorite part sure. of that movie. She didn't give anything, and and maybe that's not her fault. It was the director's fault. But then now in Hanny Calder, it's like she's not giving me anything. Sure. So I wonder if she's just a pretty face. Well, she was a sex symbol. But how did they handle sex symbols in the 50s, 60s, 70s? You, you know, they were they the, their fame was also kind of limiting. But I mean, Myra Breckenridge works because it's so over the top. I also think Raquel gives a very flamboyant performance. So, so it is fun. And you have to remember, you know, Candy Darling uh audition for that role that hollywood was not ready to cast candy darling uh who said had some famous line about how raquel welch is apparently a better looking transvestite but myra breckenridge is a transsexual character but she's also a fantasy of myron's who's played by rex reed so it would make sense to me that 
you know, I think ironically, considering a man like Rex Reed would consider himself to look like Raquel Welch as a woman. Um, and so I think that it, it there is a weird thing that that film does work on certain levels. Yeah, I would like to rewatch Myra Breckenridge and we can do a podcast on it, but I'd probably wait a minute. Um, sure. Well, we we're going to a brag, a brag, <laughs> not to brag, but we're going to a drag brunch before they're illegal y'all before they're illegal so not uh, in this state but uh, i mean yeah. the shame oh my god the the united states of america uh can can a, can something just split it up like can a, a natural disaster happen where i just don't have to deal uh, we just need a big old asteroid to like destroy everything fuck start you start from scratch fuck you tennessee fuck you well now we can't post this on youtube but anyway we can't? you can't use the f word oh, you more post than these once. oh sorry well they need no to... i don't post these uh i'm just saying oh, okay uh well my battery is about to die what uh what else do you want to say what are we watching this week scream six scream six john wick four um and another one 65 i think comes out this i'm week. only looking forward to 65 um and then i just finished reading hubert selby jr's waiting period which actually is kind of difficult to get through because it's about this disgruntled va worker who it's just a stream of consciousness for 150 pages uh who, although his his method of killing people that hurt him is interesting because he again it's only from his perspective so who knows if it's real but reads these e coli cultures and goes and like is poisoning these people and they're dying um and then i started reading the cement garden which i think is the first novel of ian McEwan, who's probably best known for the comfort of strangers uh i didn't put it together so i've had this book it's very interesting it's reminding me of like fist in the pocket kind of about this dysfunctional family mixed with vc andrews and there's a film version of this from the early 90s, directed by Andrew Birkin, who is the brother to Jane Birkin and stars Charlotte Gainsbourg, so her uncle. But you you know the Madonna song, What It Feels Like for a Girl. Okay. You know, that's Charlotte Gainsbourg on the track who's speaking. Oh, I Secretly, you'd love to know what it's like to be a girl. You know, boys, boys can do... Girls can wear jeans, but boys can't... You know, that whole mm-hmm. thing? That is from this film, from The Cement Garden. That, oh, that interesting. monologue is lifted from. Anything else? No. Okay, ta-ta for now.